Turn your Bibles to the last book of the Bible. We'll be reading from Revelation chapter 5. This morning we spoke of how God delights to save. He delights to save His people. He's willing to part the waterways. He's willing to stop sun and moon in the sky. He is willing to send His own Son, who is the very center of this passage. We are seeing what the Son has accomplished there at Calvary, but we are getting it in heaven's terms, in heaven's light. What has Christ done for His people? So we're going to read Revelation 5, the entirety of the passage here together. Beginning in verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped Him. What a beautiful and glorious text to which we ought to add our own amens and hallelujahs. Boys and girls, do you? uh, I wonder if you know the story of King Arthur and the sword that was stuck in the rock. Uh, During the time of um, Britain was in need of a king, and the this rock that had this sword in it had a saying on the front of the rock that said whoever could pull the sword from the rock was going to be the next king of Britain. And so the archbishop of the land, wanting to have a king in place, knew that Britain needed a king. So 
He devised a plan in order to gather all the knights of the land into Britain. He held a big tournament for these knights, but his main goal was to find someone who would be capable of pulling this sword from the rock. And that, boys and girls, is where King Arthur comes in, because King Arthur is just a young lad at this time. He's not coming to the tournament to fight as one of the mighty knights. He's actually there to help his brother and to carry his sword. But King Arthur runs into trouble uh, on the first day of the tournament as his brother asks for his sword, and he realizes that he must have left it somewhere. He cannot find it. But he remembers as they were making their way to the tournament that he saw a sword that was lodged in this rock. And so King Arthur said, I, I know what I, I should do. So he runs to this rock and he grabs the sword and miraculously he pulls it from the rock. And when he brings it back to his brother, his brother says, that, that's not the sword that I came with. And it soon became known throughout the land that there was someone who was going to be the next king of Britain. And it was this young lad, not some mighty and strong warrior, but actually the small little boy. And the reason he was able to pull the sword, it becomes clear, was not because he was such a, a mighty soldier or warrior, but because he was worthy. He was destined to be the next king of Britain. As we come to this text in Revelation 5, we are moving far from fiction, far from myth, to what God is doing through His Son. And the scene is so momentous. But it can be quite striking, can't it? As we look, um, we hear the angel cry, Behold the Lion of the tribe of Judah, and we turn our heads with John. What we are met with is a similarly striking image. Not some bold lion that is walking up to open up this scroll, but a lamb. One of the weak and feeble creatures. But John is making it absolutely clear and the angels are making it absolutely clear that this is the mighty, worthy King of kings and Lord of lords who is worthy to open up the scrolls. It is a truly momentous scene. And so I want to examine this lamb with you here this evening by asking three questions of our passage. One, the first question we should ask is, who is worthy? This, the second question we should ask is, why is this lamb worthy? And the third question we should ask is, what is this lamb worthy of? This is the worthy lamb of God. And so to our first question, who is worthy? Look with me in verse 2. John says he sees a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals. Now, it's evident that in under stand, to understand what it means to be worthy, we need to understand what these scrolls are. What is this angel referring to? Why does the person who uh, is going to open these scrolls have to be worthy? We need to understand what worth has to have uh, connects to the scrolls. And then, as we look through this passage, we see that no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth is worthy. They are not capable of opening up these scrolls. So it becomes a very important question to ask, what are these scrolls then? What are they representing? 
Unfortunately, when you come to the book of Revelation, that's one of the most debated aspects of this book. And I just want to highlight or open up to you three of the most common views of what these scrolls represent and then uh, work through the text with you to show the one that I think makes sense of the most elements of our text. So there's three different views of what these scrolls could be. And the first is to say that these scrolls represent the last days, the last eras, the last epochs that are going to be ushered in through this Lamb. In other words, He is opening up the last days of history. And this theory has some rooting in the book of Daniel. Uh, I don't think you're this far yet, but in the book of Daniel, as you make your way through the passages, you'll find that the angel tells Daniel to seal up the scrolls until the very last days. And so some people will take these scrolls to be the, the exact scrolls that were sealed up in the time of Daniel, now being unfolded by the, by the Lamb of God. The second view, and probably the most popular view of what these scrolls are, is to say that these scrolls represent world history. And so what this view says is that in order to make sense of history, in order to understand history, you are not going to get very far without understanding this Lamb of God. In other words, what this text is showing you and me is that you will not understand any part of history without understanding the very center of history, who is this Lamb. He is the only one who is worthy to make sense of history and to whom history all revolves, for all things are from Him and through Him and to Him. But there's one more theory that I think makes the sense of the most elements of this text. And this is the inheritance view of these scrolls. You see, whenever you're interpreting something, it's very important to understand the context and understand and ask questions of the text to make sense of the elements that are going on. And I think as we read this text, there's a number of questions that pop out to us as we're looking at these scrolls. The first question I think we need to ask is, why are there seven seals on this scroll. In other words, what does seven seals represent in this equation? What are they showing us or signifying to us in our um, reading of this passage? The second question I think we need to ask is, what does worthiness have to do with opening the scrolls? What's the connection or link there, as we already noted? The third question we should ask is, why are we focusing on the redemptive qualities of this land? You'll notice in the songs that it speaks of how this lamb um, has conquered, that he has ransomed a people, that because he was slain, he is able to open up these scrolls. And lastly, I think we need to ask, why is John weeping? Heaven seems to be an odd place for tears, doesn't it? So does John just intuitively understand the significance of what is going on, or does he understand what these scrolls are representing? And the inheritance view make sense of all of these elements. You see, the seven seals in that time and in that era, whenever an emperor was passing on his will to the next generation, he would uh, the trademark would be seven seals set upon a scroll that would signify the inheritance or the will or the passing on of the emperor to his son. We still have scrolls with this very signature marker um, in our own artifacts today. This was very commonly used in the Greek times, and so it would have made sense 
for John's readers to immediately understand what these scrolls are representing. It has seven seals. This is a testament to or pointing in the direction of an inheritance. Now, the second question of why are we focusing on the worthiness of this lamb is a very important question. And if you remember in the book of Ruth, there is this central problem with Naomi. Naomi has gone to the land of Moab, and when she has gone to the land of Moab, she's lost something, and that is her inheritance. And so when she comes back to Bethlehem, she needed someone who would be able to redeem her land. It's called a Redeemer's Kinsman. And one of the essential qualities of a Redeemer's Kinsman is they had to be capable of paying back the price of the land. And so when you come to Ruth 4, if you're ever reading it, look closely at Ruth 4 as there is a competition between two Redeemer's Kinsmen. And the distinguishing factor between which one will act as a Redeemer's Kinsman to Naomi is centered on this question. Who is capable? Who is worthy? Who is able to buy back her inheritance? And the other Redeemer's Kinsman what Ruth literally calls so-and-so, says, I cannot buy back this inheritance because it is going to ruin me. But Boaz, the central character in that text, says he will pay the price. He will buy back this inheritance. And so when we hear this word worthiness in Revelation, it should cue us to that very scene where we are asking who's able to buy back, who is able to purchase back the land. And now we see there's a Redeemer who is standing, right? And that's why we focus on the redemptive qualities of this Lamb. He has conquered. He has ransomed a people. He has been slain for His bride. It is centering on what He has already accomplished to show you and me that He is capable of buying back our inheritance. See, that is why John is weeping in heaven. Because John understands if these scrolls are not opened up, God's people are doomed. And so I hope you can feel some of the weight and the emotion of this scene as he is, hears the angel call out to heaven and, and earth and under the earth, who is worthy to open the scroll? And he sees no one is stepping up to the plate. John is realizing that if these scrolls are not opened, God's people are never going to see their inheritance. Never going to see the promises opened up to them and all the riches of the inheritance that God has promised to His people. And so the Greek literally says that John is weeping and weeping because he's so overcome by the emotion of this scene. He says someone has to open up these scrolls. And so the words of the elder are so significant, are they? John, weep no more, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. You don't have to weep because there is one and there is only one who is capable of opening up these scrolls. And that is the worthy Lamb of God. So we've asked, who is worthy? Now we need to ask, why is He worthy? What has this Lamb accomplished in order to open up these scrolls? Look, look with me in verse 5. Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered 
so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And this verb, has conquered, is in the Greek at the front of the sentence. And that, that's highlighting its significance for you. So if I was to read this in English, it would say, He has conquered. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. It's highlighting the significance of this verb. It's past tense. He has conquered. It's something that he's already done. He is a victorious lamb. And so when he's marching onto this scene, there's no more to accomplish. It's because he has accomplished that very thing of conquering the grave, sin, death, that he is now able to open up this scroll. And two of these titles that are given to this lamb are telling John, don't be mistaken, this lamb uh, that is before you is the messianic king that has been foretold from the very beginning of the Bible. One of these titles comes from Genesis 49. Um, the lion of the tribe of Judah. You remember when Israel was blessing his children, he said to Judah, the scepter shall not depart from your line until what? Until Shiloh come. Which is to say, in your line, Judah, the kingship will continue to run until the very king of kings shall come. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. In other words, he is the one whom all the Jews have been looking throughout history for the king of kings to come. He's the messianic king. And he stands here before you. He's also the root of David. Again, highlighting messianic significance. If you Read Jeremiah 23, it was foretold that the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he shall be called, the Lord is our righteousness. This is the raised up branch of David. This is the root of David that now stands before you, John. He is the true King of Kings. And so he's going to tell us why he is worthy. In verse 9, he says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, or because you were slain. This is a why answer. Why is this lamb going up and taking these scrolls? Why is he able to do this task? It's because he was slain. And you know the significance of that, right? In the Bible, this language is, is already connecting back to the time of the Exodus. You remember when the angel of death would pass over into Egypt. Everyone was going to lose their firstborn son, including Israel. Unless they did what? Unless they took a lamb into their homes and they slayed that lamb and they took the blood of that lamb and they put it on their doors. You see, all of those lambs that were sacrificed there in Egypt and that would continue to be sacrificed on the altars again and again, all of those lambs are not significant because of the quantity of blood that was spilled, but because they are all pointing to this one singular lamb. It's His blood that is accomplishing this mighty work of salvation. It's because He was slain. Isaiah 53 makes the connection that this lamb that was signified in the Passover is a man. In Isaiah 53 it says that He shall sprinkle many nations. 
with His blood. In other words, this blood is covering their sins. And it is ransoming a people. It's buying a people. It's purchasing a people for God Himself. You have to love that unusual way that this Lamb conquers. You see this... You know, many kings in our day and in our times and throughout history have conquered, you know, through various means, but often through more men and more troops and more military weapons and greater uh, weapons of destruction. That is not how our king conquers. Our king comes with his own blood. He conquers through his own sacrifice. And by his sacrifice, he's paying the debt of a people whose sins are many, but by His blood, He's able to wipe them all away, to cover them in His grace. And so when we see this lamb, He still wears this, this, this purchasing price on His coat. His coat is soaked with blood, but you'll notice something. This lamb is not laying dead. It says that this lamb is standing. It says, Verse 6, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Why does he use that language? It's because this lamb had been slain. But guess what? He was a conquering lamb. And he rose again from the dead. And so he's standing there victorious, wearing the blood that would allow his people to come before the presence of of God, and He is buying back your inheritance and my inheritance. He's sealing His promises to you and to me. What a beautiful scene. And it shows in this very text that He's accomplished exactly what He set out to do. In verse 9, it says that by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. That is everyone in consummate history. That is the full picture of the bride of Christ. You see, four was often the number of totality. And so the Bible will speak of the four corners of the earth or the four winds. And here it's using these four titles to picture for you all of those that have been purchased by this lamb. It's interesting, when you dive a little deeper, you'll find that the words tribe and people are the two most common words used for the nation of Israel while the terms uh, nation and tongue are the two most common words for the Gentiles. And so you get the picture, right? In consummate history, you have the Jews and the Gentiles completely covered and bought by this land. He's accomplished exactly what he set out to do, to buy a people for himself. This is the only one who can break the curse. This is the only one who is able to buy the inheritance that we cannot have on our own because our sin has cost us our lives. The wages of sin is death. And so we needed one who is infinitely worthy to purchase back a people for himself by his own blood. And that is exactly what you are being presented with here. It has significant meaning to each and every single one of you exactly what is going on here in our text. This is why He is worthy, and this is why we worship the risen Lamb of God. Lastly, then, we need to ask, what is He worthy of? 
Notice that he stands in the very center of heaven. Where is he standing? Verse 6, between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. In other words, he is in the very center of heaven. And that's proper because all of heaven is revolving around this lamp. Everyone's lives revolve around this lamp. Dr. Beeky has a beautiful quote on this passage. He says, the lion lamb is not only at the center of heaven, he is the center of heaven. All of heaven is focused on him. All the worshipers surround him and look to him, beginning with the Father, whose deepest delight is in his Son. He is at the center for who he is and what he has done. He has conquered in all of heaven is rejoicing. And that's why you have heaven breaking out into song for what this Lamb has done. You'll notice it speaks of a new song being sung. In verse 9, it says that they sang a new song. And that term, new song, you can find this elsewhere throughout Scripture. Uh, It's used in places where, where God would work a miraculous deliverance for His people. And so you'll find when Israel was brought through the Red Sea as they came to the other side, it says Miriam and the woman took up a new song. Which you could say is they they were taking up a song of deliverance. They were rejoicing in what their God had done. And that is exactly what the angels are taking to their lips. Now they're singing this new song and everyone is going to join in on the praise. And you got to love the momentum of the passage. As you progress through the song, there's this cascading, this building effect. You begin with the the four living creatures, the 24 elders. They begin the song. You are worthy to take the scroll, for you were slain. By your blood you ransomed a people. And then you jump down to verse 11. And notice who has joined the ranks. I heard and I, I looked and I heard around the throne, the four living creatures, the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads of thousands upon thousands. No angel is missing out on this event. They're all joining in on the praise as uh, this lamb is being glorified for exactly what he has done. And then you come down to verse 13. And what does he hear? He hears every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. They're all joining in on the praise. It's such a beautiful scene. You remember how the angels started. Who is capable of opening this scroll? And what does He find? No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth. We come to the end of the passage and it's like none of the creatures who are after are going to miss out on what this Lamb is worthy of, which is our praise and adoration and our affection. You give Him all the blessing and honor and glory. It will never outweigh what He has done. He is the worthy Lamb of God. And I love seeing all the angels join in. Why are the angels here? Well, Dr. Beeky says angels are spectators and subordinates in the drama of salvation. And they are deeply interested in the salvation of sinners because they deeply love God. And the Bible tells us that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels in heaven over one sinner who repents. And when you were saved, tens of thousands burst into song. They were happy. Perhaps happier than you were because you hadn't fully understood at that point all that happened to you. But they, they rejoiced. And that is why they're joining in on the salvation. They are 
full of joy for what God has done. You'll see the angels doing this throughout uh, the Word of God as they join in on the praise in Sinai, as they join to announce the news of a Savior who has been born. And now here, at the most climactic event, seeing the Lamb purchase His people, take the scroll that is their inheritance, they are all giving their adoration and praise, along with us in the consummate history who are ransomed by this Lamb. You see, the word worthy literally speaks of a balancing out of scales. And so, if you have the infinitely worthy Lamb of God on one side, and you give Him all praise, all adoration, all honor, all glory, all blessing, it never, ever, ever outweighs the infinite worth of this Lamb. He is the One through whom and to whom all of history revolves and deserves the hearts of all God's people. You know, people who have lived in light of this reality, who have been moved by this reality, have done marvelous things in the history of God's church. There's one movement called the Moravian Movement. And this passage was really at the core of their motto, uh, to live for Christ, to go to the ends of the church uh, of the world. They were motivated by this Lamb. There was two missionaries particularly who would set out overseas and they would sell themselves into slavery because it was the only way they were going to reach this island with uh, a tribe of people who were under a slave owner who they would never hear the gospel unless they would sell themselves into slavery and give themselves over to the slave owner. So these two missionaries boarded the ship and they were going to set sail to this island. And to this world, this seems absolutely absurd, doesn't it? Why are these two missionaries giving their lives? Why are they willing to cross the sea and sell themselves to go preach the gospel to this little tribe on an island? Although they give you, they give you their reason as they boarded the ship they would raise their arms in the sky and they would shout out to their family and friends and relatives, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive the reward of His suffering. When we catch light of what God has done through Christ, it can be so motivating. He is the infinitely worthy Lamb. You know, some people often speak of Jesus like He's you know, just another guy that you meet on the street. You know, I, I like Jesus. I like his teachings about, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself. I think, you know, Jesus, he's, he's a good man. You know, he, he taught some good principles um, about living life and, and treating uh, other, others around you, you know. And they have this view of Jesus like he's just some ordinary man. But when you come to this text, you realize that he's far more than just some ordinary man. This is the rightful Son of God, the glorious Lamb of God, through whom all of history revolves. And when we catch light of that reality, it's such a joy and an honor to live for Him. He's worthy of everything, right? He's bought an inheritance for us, given us eternal life. This is the reason we, have to, we don't have to weep no longer. John, you don't have to weep no longer. There's one who is capable of breaking your curse. There's one capable of giving you back your inheritance. And that can be said to every one of us. You don't have to weep no more, Susan or Timothy or whatever your name is. 
There is a worthy Lamb who has conquered and triumphed and is able to give you eternal life, is able to give you a life where you know God forever and ever and can praise Him and honor Him and delight in Him for eternity. That is a world that we are looking forward to. Let us now go before this God and thank Him for this precious gift. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for this great Gospel news that Jesus Christ came to save sinners, that He gave His life so that we may have eternal life, and that His blood is able to cleanse us from all sin and to present us righteous before You, a holy God. What a reality, Lord. We pray that You would motivate us then to live our lives out of this reality. That we would tell our neighbors, tell our friends, tell all those who come across our paths of what our King has done. And that we would want this news to spread to the corners of the world. That people would be ransomed. That people would be called out of darkness into Your marvelous light. And that we would joy in this Gospel reality. We pray, Lord, that You'd bless our worship, bless our songs, and cause our voices to be raised up with all the angels singing hallelujah and amen and thanksgiving be given to God for what He has done. All blessing and glory and honor be unto His name. We pray this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen.